Limitless. Something that is without set lines or boundaries. Something without. Hey guys, welcome to the Empowered Project Podcast. My name is Jonathan. If this is your first time listening, guys, I want to thank you for tuning into the show. Okay. If you are a repeat offender, guys, I want to welcome you back. I'm so thankful that you came back. Hopefully you found value in something that we've done. And if you did find value in anything that we discussed, please do me a huge favor and share the podcast with someone in your sphere of influence. Okay. The best way for this stuff to get out to people is for you to share it with them. Also, if you would take 30 seconds and write me a five-star review. All right. The reviews mean a ton to me personally. Knowing that what I'm saying is making an impact in people's lives in a meaningful way is really, really huge to me. I honestly try to take a moment every few days and go through the reviews and read the reviews to see that that value is being added. So please, please, please take the second and write a review. If you've already written a five-star review, I want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, seriously. And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Please go do that for me. Thanks so much. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to the Empowered Project Podcast. It has been far too long, guys. I am actually uh, finishing up a long trip out to Mexico and Texas, and uh, I have been completely off my normal schedule for weeks now, but I wanted to share some of my personal experiences with you. Uh, And within those those experiences over the past uh, few weeks, I want to tell much of my story. Um, a few weeks back, I was down in West Palm Beach, Florida for the CrossFit Games Regionals as a coach for one of my athletes for the first weekend in June. And my athlete had done well on the workouts thus far, and I was taking a much-needed chill and relax out by the pool. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. I'm sitting on a porch overlooking a pool. Anyway, there I am sitting at the pool with some friends, and something happens that has happened before. But this particular incident sent me into a spin that was one of the worst that I'd had since 2010. So it had been over eight years. You see, the human body is an amazing thing. If you've heard any of my other podcasts or videos, you may have heard me speak of the term neuroplasticity. The short catch-up version of this real quick is neuroplasticity is when the brain literally changes its brain chemistry to think differently. It adapts the human being has an extraordinary, extraordinary ability to adapt. It's truly amazing. However, sometimes there can be hiccups in the system that's brought on by things outside of our control. And this can be especially true if there has been some kind of trauma involved. So there I was at the pool. I'm surrounded by friends and total strangers. And I experienced what I'll call a phantom pain, for lack of better words, that felt like I'd been shot again. Yes, I said shot. Yes, I've been shot. And I'll explain that in just a second. The moment that I had, though, was so intense there by the pool that it sent me into a PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, panic spiral is what I'll call it, that was the most intense that I'd yet experienced in my life. Now listen, I realize that some of you have already heard the story a million times, but there are those who have not. And so for this part of the story, I've got to tell a little background, okay? I'll try to keep the whole biography piece of this brief, but it is necessary to tell the whole story, so hang in there with me, okay? I grew up in a Christian home. 
My dad was a pastor through my young adult life, and I accepted Christ as a young man. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I lived a Christian lifestyle throughout my life, but it does mean that I had that spark, that Christian Christianity, that spark in my life. I have, because of that, I have so many stories of my faith in Jesus moving and doing such amazing things in my life. But I'll just speak of the moments that I feel are relevant to this particular story. You see, I was married in 2001 at the very young age of 20 years old. My wife, Heather, was only 19. We were high school sweethearts. And together, we are still together in 2018. It has been amazing and tough. We have had our ups. We've had our downs. But I have learned that the faithfulness of Jesus is always with us if we'll just seek him. And that's on my, in my own life. We both believe that. In the early 2000s, Heather and I went to Nepal, the country of Nepal, with our church. And I learned much of what the voice of God sounds like during that time. I've seen miraculous healings of other people. And I've learned what the voice of God sounds like. And that's a big deal because for so long I didn't believe those crazy things I'd read about in the Bible or stories I'd heard of, the, of, of you know, miraculous things happen actually happen in today's world. I didn't believe it. But I've now seen it with my own eyes and I've heard his voice with my own ears. So you can argue high theory all you want, but my experience will stand. In 2006, I learned that God heals not just in the way out there parts of third world countries, but also right here where I am. I also learned that there's power in our words because we are in the image of God. I learned that he cares and he gives us good things when we ask for them. Because my wife Heather became pregnant with our first child after not being able to have children for years prior. In 2007, I learned what real loss and grief feels like, along with so many valuable lessons through the sudden and unexpected death of my father just six days before my first child was born. Now, there's a whole other story in this one, and perhaps we'll go there at some other time, but I'm going to digress on this and go back to the main story here. April 29th, 2010, 22, 22 hours. That's 10:22. I was a hard-charging police officer. In what was known as a war zone area, uh, it was widely touted that for every year of experience in zone two, it was like five years of experience in some other area. Every day, someone was getting shot, stabbed, fighting the police, just general craziness. And it just so happened that I was the police officer in that area, and I got to participate in much of that chaos. And I enjoyed this time immensely. In the area I worked, I'd been in hundreds and hundreds of hand-to-hand -hand fights, confrontations, and incidents at this point in my career as a police officer. Because of my knowledge, my training, and my experience, and many of the mentors I'd had in my life at that point who were police officers, I was very confident. I guess you could probably say I was probably even a little cocky in my abilities at my job. I was very good at what I did, and I loved every minute of it even though it absolutely affected me in ways that will forever change me for both the better and for the worse. As a side note, today I now understand how those pieces fit together and the positive impact that I can now have because of the negative experiences. But at that time, in that place, 
the darkness was taking over me. During this dark time, I experienced alcoholism to the tune of a bottle of Maker's Mark 46, that's 750 milliliters, every other day to try to self-medicate the depression and suicidal thoughts. And I'm talking about real depression. I'm talking about real darkness here. To the, ex to the extent, guys, that I put my Glock 27 in my mouth. That's a 40 caliber. It's a subcompact Glock. I put it in my mouth, and I pulled about half the slack out of the trigger before a small thought entered my mind. It was my daughter's voice, and it stopped me. I felt like, in that place, I felt like I was a burden, and I was a failure to everyone around me outside of the job. When I was at work, I felt like a king, and when I was out of work, I felt like a complete failure and a loser. I also felt during that time that I'd been prodded in my spirit to open a gym, which sounded crazy to me, and leave the police department. And that was 2010, but I refused to listen to that prodding. And there's so much more to that part of the story, but I'll move on, at least for now, and maybe we'll go back to it at some point. On that night, April 29th, 2010, I was an early car. And let me explain what this means. This means that I was one of the cars that got to change out and go home 15 minutes earlier than shift end so that the next shift would be able to load up and get out on the road without a gap in service for the precinct. Tyler, one of the other late cars, he'd caught an alarm call at the other end of the Southern Beats. And right as I was called in, Josh got a domestic dispute call. There had been an incident where a female had tried to attack the caretaker of a drug halfway house with one of those big, ugly, 1970s-looking green ceramic ashtrays. That female had fled the scene, and my buddy Josh was heading to that domestic call without backup. Because the other late call, the other, excuse me, the other late car had the alarm call on the other end of the precinct. He was already gone towards that. I decided that I was going to go with Josh to be his backup because of the potential volatile and violent nature of that domestic call. As I arrived on the scene of the initial incident, Josh had gone to look for the perpetrator who had fled the scene. It was a female. And I stepped out of my patrol car as Josh came over the radio saying that he had the perpetrator running from him behind a house just a few miles down the road. I jumped back in my car and I drove quickly to his location. But as I arrived, Josh was walking the perp down the driveway next to the house. Didn't seem like she was resisting. Didn't seem like she was anything other than cooperative. But as I stepped out of my car, I remember feeling specifically that something in my spirit felt something in her spirit and they both collided. And she turned and immediately began to physically fight Josh. The dash camera on the car showed that the next scene played out in only eight seconds. And I tell you again, that I felt something in my spirit churn. I thought specifically of the gym that I believed that God had wanted me to open, and it flashed for a brief moment in my mind before I engaged the scene of this incident. Guys, a fight where we were at was so common. Like I said before, I'd been in hundreds of fights and scuffled at, at, at this point in the area I worked. It was, I wasn't worried. I always won. I was the guy that everybody wanted with them on the fight calls. Man, I hurt people that decided to fight me. I wasn't concerned. And then in the briefest of moments, in the flash of eight seconds, all of that changed. You see, at this point, I've left my car and I've approached the scuffle between them. 
But as I approached, my plan was to just simply pepper spray the girl, punch her square in the nose, throw her on the ground, handcuff her, and be done. And now at this point, I'm at the five o'clock position. So if you look at a clock, I'm at the five o'clock position standing behind Josh and approaching. And Josh is now screaming at me. John, she's getting my gun. She's getting my gun. He's freaking out. You can hear uh, the level of stress in his voice. And Josh was laying a whipping on this girl. He was punching the absolute shit out of this girl as she grabbed at his gun. Yeah, I said girl. She was about as wide as she was tall, though. And she was taking a beating. <laughs> uh, she kept hanging on, though. She kept hanging on to his gun, and I'd never seen anything quite like it before. He put elbows to her face and to her arm, just like they teach you in the academy, just like they teach you in weapons retention to get, your, get them off of you. So my initial plan for pepper spraying this person, punching them, and throwing them to the ground quickly changed as the sound of Josh's panic escalated. Her hand was literally inside his holster. As I transitioned from the pepper spray that was in my hand to my Glock Model 22 40 caliber. In my mind's eye, I saw this scene play out as I drew my weapon. I press contacted it to her left eye. That means it was physically touching her. And I pulled the trigger. I saw the back of her head explode on the chain link fence behind her. And I know that's graphic. But that's what I saw. And that is not what happened. That's what was played out in my mind, but that's not what happened. As I opened the retention on my holster, which is what holds it in, I began to draw my weapon. As I began to draw my weapon, I heard a gunshot go off, and there was a brief moment where I thought, I didn't shoot yet. It was at that time that the physical pain hit me. You see, the discharged weapon that we heard, the gunshot, was my partner's gun. The girl, who had managed to squeeze her hand in inside the, the holster, incidentally, it's a safari land, level two, rotating hood, uh, rotating hood with the little shroud hood over the top of it, uh, with a light accessory. Yeah, you can get your whole hand in the back side of that gun and pull the, or in the back side of that holster and pull the trigger. But and she had done that. She'd gotten her hand in there and squeezed the trigger without ever getting the gun out of the holster. The bullet that exited his gun was a Winchester Ranger round. And when I looked that up, it, it leaves it has a muzzle velocity of 990 feet per second. And that particular bullet is designed to frag out on impact. So when it hits, it's designed to fragment in a bunch of little pieces uh, and do the maximum amount of damage. And see, when, he fi when she fired it, it went through the bottom of a plastic piece on that holster. And it entered my leg just below the outside of my right knee. Because it hit the bottom of that holster, it had expanded prior to impact. And it had entered my leg at about the diameter of a standard pill bottle. Flat, but about the size of a standard pill bottle at the bottom. Before it entered my leg and began to frag out all over inside my leg. The main portion of the bullet tore through my tibial artery and severed all the nerves in my lower leg. With all the nerves severed, the pain was very different than just getting shot through the leg. Because when it went through all of those nerves, it felt like my leg had literally been torn off of my body because of that nerve damage. 
I looked down at my leg as I hopped from my car, hopped to the front of my car from where Josh was. Because remember, we weren't more than maybe 15 feet from my car. I hopped to the front of my car and I looked down at my leg. And when I did that, I totally expected to see my leg dangling. But instead, I saw just a small hole and, and some blood in the terribly ugly French blue pants that we had to wear. God, those things were ugly. And I remember yelling at Josh that I'd been shot as I tried to draw my weapon. And I believe on the video, I actually did. It's been a while for instance, I've seen it. But I believe I actually drew my weapon and I, I tried to obtain a sight picture by looking down the barrel. I tried to re-engage and my thought was I, I can still shoot her while leaning on the hood of this car. But as I tried to focus, I realized that I couldn't make a safe shot because Josh and the girl were literally still locked in a physical fight. So I holstered my weapon. I yelled at Josh, I'm out of the fight, buddy. I keyed up on my radio and I said, Sigma 50, Sigma 50, I've been shot. I remember hearing radio go, radio's clear, signal 63, officer's been shot. And I don't remember anything after that. The funny thing is, though, uh, <laughs> apparently I didn't let go of the uh, I let, didn't let go of the radio, <laughs> so I apparently let out a stream of curse words after that, uh, ex explaining just how bad it hurt. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But after putting out the radio traffic, I do remember looking back to my leg, and that's when I realized that the wound must be arterial because of the amount of blood. The pool of blood was spreading at my feet and it looked to me like somebody had just began to pour a five gallon bucket of my own blood on the ground. I grabbed my leg just above my knee because the pain was escalating and I was thinking, God, this hurts so bad. How can I possibly make the pain stop? And I looked back at my partner and I yelled, fucking shoot her. I need you. The blood was still pouring out in spite of my best efforts to put pressure on the outside of the wound, or at least where I thought the wound was. And somewhere in this process, Josh managed to throw the girl to the ground and cuff her to a chain link fence that was behind her. And then he came to my aid. I remember having him having me slide down the car and I'm leaving out some of the details here, but I remember him telling me to lay down and I said, man, I can't, it hurts too bad. And he says, man, I need you to at least slide down the car. And so I slid down the side of the car, right at my front driver's side, front wheel. And I slid down, I slid down the car. And one of the crazy things I remember, I only remember a few things in this, in these moments, but one of the crazy things I remember was I remember specifically the sound my ass made as I plopped into my own large pool of blood, that thick sound. And it's a sound that I can't forget. It's with me forever. And I honestly wish it would go away, but I can still hear it when I think about the incident. Sometimes when I hear other things, it reminds me of it. I remember Josh pulling his knife out, cutting the bottom of my pants off. And he said, hang in there, buddy. I'll be right back. And he took off. I didn't know what he was doing, but he was going, he was one of the only guys. And you guys can argue with me, I suppose, if you want about the existence of God. But there are so many things in this particular incident that, that show me that God was with me the whole time. And part of that is the fact that it was Josh that was there. Because Josh was a, was a, Combat vet, he'd, uh, he'd put together his own trauma kit in his car, and nobody else had really done that. So that's where he was going. He was going back to his car to get that trauma kit. And um, he said, I'll be right back. And when he disappeared, it felt like eternity. 
as I sat there alone and bleeding, I genuinely believed that I was going to die. I did. I felt that way because I, I knew that I was losing consciousness. I could feel it. I could feel like, I won't call it the light at the end of the tunnel, but things were getting very dark. It was very difficult to focus. At this point, a third officer had come on the scene. Now, he, he was actually there when the gunshot had gone off, and he had sprinted up the hill. This is all happening so fast. And he had to reapprehend the girl who had somehow managed to slip the cuff off her hand, and she'd taken off running. So he had to tackle her. He didn't know I was on the other side of the car bleeding. He didn't know I was shot. So he tackled her, and then he tried to handcuff her, but she kept slipping out of the cuffs. Now... So he had to like, so he was on top of this girl. She was belly down on the ground and he was on top of her holding her hands behind her back. And he was probably about 15 to 30 feet from me. And I'm guessing at that, uh, probably somewhere in the middle of that. And he had to hold her while he watched me. Now, I don't remember what I said to Tyler. He was the guy that went to the alarm call. I don't remember what I said to him as he held that, that perpetrator of that crime. But he since told me that I cried and I begged him to save my life and I begged God for my life. He said that he never, he's never told anybody and he still hasn't told me the exact words I said. He said no one should have to hear that ever. You see, the second thing I remember during this time was I remember thinking about my brand new two-month-old daughter, Canaan, and my three-year-old daughter, Eden. They were the only two I had at the time. I've now got three. I'm continually blessed. <laughs> but during that time, I remember the exact thought is so clear. This part's crystal clear to me. I said, I can't let them grow up without a dad. I said it over and over. I can't let them grow up without a dad. And then I said, God, give me strength. And then right after that, my thought was of my wife, Heather. And then I squeezed my leg with my own hands as a tourniquet. I squeezed as hard as I could. And God gave me strength. He put it in my hands because my hands were strong. Tyler, who was holding the girl, would later tell me that I stopped speaking at that point. And that all of my focus was on my leg and squeezing that leg. And I honestly don't remember Josh returning. I don't remember him getting back, but he did. Combat dressed my wounds until the medic arrived. Now, there's a lot more to this story. And I have been given so many opportunities since then. I've been given the opportunity to experience depression again, PTSD, all kinds of crazy fun things that not only come from that shooting incident, but also from the years of policing prior that was made manifest through that shooting. And I'm going to talk about that a little more in a second, but there's a great quote from Tony Robbins that says this, what if life happens for us, not to us? You see, this incident gave me perspective that I did not have before. I was the tough cop. I was the fighter. I was the go-getter, and in eight seconds, everything that I was known for and everything that I identified as myself was stripped from me. 
because that's not really who I was. Along with my personal issues that manifested and surfaced in response to this incident, my family also experienced the detrimental effects of this struggle as well. The family aspect of my life is a story that is an even deeper story of God's grace and provision that I may tell later. I'll give you the short version now. The short version is that my wife is one of the toughest and most resilient women on the planet. And I will forever be grateful for her and my children who gave me so much grace during this extreme time of brokenness. While I was laying on my couch during my recovery, I was reminded of the gym I was supposed to open. And I again, even after all of this, I again told God that I am too good at being a cop to leave it. Sorry about the wind. I was told that I wouldn't be able to walk for six months and that I would likely never run or jump again. I didn't like that. I didn't like that idea at all. And I didn't accept it. I pushed myself so hard. I returned to desk duty six weeks after my, after my shooting. And I returned to full duty only eight weeks to the day after this shooting incident. During that eight-week time frame, I had two surgeries. Sorry about the dogs barking. <laughs> I told you I'm outside by the pool. I returned to desk duty six weeks after my shooting. returned to full duty eight weeks to the day. After my shooting incident, during that eight weeks, I had two surgeries to remove part of my calf muscle that had become necrotic due to compartment syndrome. I had uh, surgery to repair the vascular tissues and to remove the bullet fragments. Those were two surgeries that I had. And you know what? Day one back on the road, I got in a foot chase. The first day back, I got in a foot chase. I honestly can't tell you if I caught the guy or not. I don't remember. But I remember going, stick that in your ear, Doc. I'm going to run and jump because I was told that I couldn't. Shortly after my return to the road, I began to experience and manifest the symptoms of my PTSD in my job performance. You will note that I said in my job performance because I had been fighting that battle, that PTSD battle with my family every single day since the shooting. Uh, and this is what I was going to talk about before. You know, the the one big traumatic incident that I experienced, that shooting, it released a flood of stored up incidents of PTSD stuff that I'd experienced all through the years of my life. It was as if that near death experience, that near death experience, opened up <laughs> like a Pandora's box of PTSD. This occurred in so many different ways through this time of my life. And I can tell you story after story of my dysfunction. And heck, maybe, maybe you guys, some of you guys listening, maybe you can do the same thing. Interestingly enough, this very week, um, this very week, I discovered that I was not alone in this experience. Interestingly enough, everyone that I talked to this week experienced the same thing I did. But it was the first time any of us had heard someone else saying that they experienced this phenomenon of one incident triggering all of the PTSD incidents. I'm going to get to where that came from, that, that, uh, where I was this week. And I'll tell you about that in just a second. But I'll go back to the story. As I continued to excel at being a cop, God began to remind me again and again through my daughter's voice 
that I was supposed to open a gym. And every single day, every single day, guys, that she saw me in uniform going to work, she would come up to me. This was Eden, my oldest of my two. She was three. And she would ask me if I was going to be shot again. Dad, are you going to get shot again? Dad, are you going to get shot again? And then I specifically remember one day I woke up and I had had a very, very specific dream. It was a message. And I believe I knew it was from God and it was very specific. And he said, if you don't open the gym, I'm telling you to open. The next one won't just be in the leg, Jonathan. This is where things uh, get wild. You see. Eden's question to me that same day when I put on my uniform and went to work was different than the ones before. She didn't ask me if I was going to get shot. She asked me, Daddy, are you going to die today? It was a jarring realization for me that God was speaking specifically through my daughter. The following day, her message was different to me again. And she said, Dad, I had a dream that you shot me and it wrecked me. You see, God was speaking through her and it was so effective I cried. <clears throat> I cried for 45 minutes of my drive to work. That's how long it took me to get to work. After squad meeting, after our squad meeting that day, I remember I messaged, I shot a message over to my beat partner and I said, hey man, meet me at Hobby Lobby. I need you to watch my back while I write something. And I wrote up my resignation letter that day. I resigned from the police department on my birthday, February 22nd, 2011. And I opened my gym on March 14th, 2011, and I've been through all kinds of ups and downs and all kinds of ways with that gym since then. I've learned and grown as a person and as a business owner. And last year, I believe, it was 2017, I was given the idea for something that was going to be my next mission, the beginnings of something new. It's now June of 2018, and that new project is taking off in ways that I could not have imagined. And that's part of why I'm out here in Texas right now. I see now the necessity for all of those paths that I've walked. I see how the pain, the fun, the lessons, and all that I've been through have given me an experience that is unique. Ish. <laughs> I understand that the PTSD, the depression, the suicidal thoughts, and all the stuff that I've experienced have given me a story and opportunity to impact others in ways that many other people cannot because that company is a really elite company. I'm saying that group of people that can relate to that and can experience that is a small group of people, but they need that community. That new project is something that I've started calling the Empowered Project. And you guys are listening to the Empowered Project podcast right now. It's just a little part of where I believe this thing is going. But over the past few months, I've been developing a series of teaching modules, a curriculum, if you want to call it that, that I, and now I believe, alongside other men and women who've been through incidents and pain like I have, will be teaching through our experiences, not through college degrees and letters at the ends of our name. I believe this is God-inspired, guys. I believe... God has given us men and women in these communities that need this stuff. They need new and necessary tools. They need to be taught by men and women who have been there. They need to be taught to deal effectively with the things that they've experienced or are currently experiencing. There are other people doing things like this now. I've heard of them. 
but I don't know of any of them who've actually been there because that's a small company. There's absolutely something to be said for having been there. Guys, the tools that we provide will be to directly combat and engage the effects of PTSD, depression, and suicidal thoughts on the job, off the job, and in their families. I want to shake the world up for these people. I've been developing these teachings and practical applications for these men and women to live life to its fullest, and I'm so pumped to actually be moving forward on it. Even though these teaching modules will be geared specifically towards military law enforcement and first responders, the message of these things will be available to the general public because I believe the principles that, I'm, that we're going to be teaching are valuable to everyone. Now, I'll let this say this, guys. What you may be going through right now is not what you're going to be going through forever. Also, what you're going through is for you and for benefit, not for your detriment. But guys, when we appropriate it correctly for you and for others, value gets added. Our ability to add value, add value to others can be advanced quickly from our stories when we choose to let those stories speak. The story that you are given is for purpose. You may not know the purpose of the story yet. You may not know the purpose of your scenario or why you've been given the pain you've been given. But rest assured, there is a reason and a purpose for it. Sometimes the difficult part of the story is not the experiences that make them up, but rather the appropriating of those experiences for the good. Pay attention to your life because the more you look, the more you'll begin to see. The more you see, the more you will begin to appreciate how the story of your life is being written. Sometimes we reach out for help within this process. But in my experience, which is now I know it's not exclusive, the most beautiful thing happens somewhere in this process. Somewhere, you begin to have the ability to not just need help, but you also have the ability to reach back and help others through the road that you've already walked. Okay, now back to this week, why I'm here. This past week, I had the unique opportunity to see this happen over and over again. See, I was invited to attend an event in Texas where around 30 men and women from around the United States were invited to come together at a training facility called the Emergency Operations Proving Grounds, the EOPG. We were invited to celebrate the survival of us, those officers, who were severely injured in the line of duty. Guys, each story was unique. There were people who were shot, stabbed, throats cut, ran over by cars. Wrecked motorcycles. Each story was unique, yet there was a shared camaraderie in all of us that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. There was something deeper in the bonds we experienced. We were all survivors. We were all broken. We were all damaged in body, soul, and spirit. And somewhere in that process, we emerged a little bit different. But we also emerged a lot stronger. Story after story after story I heard of the indomitable human spirit, the human being. And each one of those stories was relatable to each one of us. We all understood. We all understood in the most intimate of ways 
the sufferings of each other. The bonds were instant because of our experiences, I suppose. <laughs> we laughed harder. We talked more deeply. We were more sarcastic than it was probably appropriate because we could handle it. And the more, and we were more real than many of us had been in years. It seems like there's always a siren when you're trying to record something. <laughs> I'm going to let it go. Stand by for the siren. I'll go back to what I said. We laughed harder. We talked more deeply. We were more sarcastic than appropriate because we could all handle it. And we, and we were more real than many of us had been in years. And that sentiment was shared by many who were there. I, I dare say every, every single person that was there. It was refreshing to be in the company of others who understood without any need of explanation. You know, when I cried, they got it. When they cried, I got it. I didn't need them to explain it. When I got quiet because I was feeling weird, they got it. When they got quiet, I got it. We could just sit next to each other and be there because we knew what the other one was experiencing, which leads me to the final point of this whole thing. This is a longer podcast than usual, guys. I hope you're enjoying it. It leads me to my final point I want to talk about. I want to talk about tribe for a second, really briefly. You see, life isn't meant to be done alone. I am thankful that even in my own brokenness and dysfunction, I am not alone. I have a tribe that is family, even if we aren't always together. If any of us needs something or is struggling, that tribe comes together. It's happening right now. Right now, an officer's going through something, and that tribe that I met is already coming together because we're family. So my encouragement to you guys is this, find your tribe. This tribe, guys, isn't just folks who hang out, but rather folks who've experienced life and will be there no matter what. Find that tribe. <laughs> I know this wasn't the normal podcast, but I hope you've enjoyed it, guys. And if you did, please subscribe so you never miss out on a new episode. Also, please give it a five-star review. Those reviews help us move up the rankings and ultimately help us in bringing content like this to you. You can also find more content by me on social media. On Instagram, I'm WWJEDU. What would JE do? WWJEDU. That's my personal. Or you can find the, the Empowered Project also on Instagram. Facebook, I'm Jonathan Edwards. You can find me there, or you can find the Empowered Project as well on Facebook. The website is theempoweredproject.com, or you can find my gym if you want to find it, powerathleticsga.com, or you're listening to it right now, the Empowered Project Podcast, anywhere podcasts are available. Guys, big things are coming. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you guys are here. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Limitless, something that is without set lines or boundaries.